Welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 718 for release on Sunday, November 27th, 2022. On WaveScan today, the early wireless scene in Washington State, devastating floods in Australia, and our Australian DX report. The American state of Washington is nestled in the northwest corner of the continental United States with the Canadian province of British Columbia to the north and the boundless Pacific Ocean to the west. The first tribal settlers in the area, with their own cultures and languages, came in from Asia via Alaska and Canada. Here's Ray Robinson now with the early wireless scene in Washington State. Thanks, Jeff. During the years of its early European settlement, the area now identified as Washington State came under the influence of the Spanish, Russians, English, French, Canadians and East Coast Americans. In 1889, Washington became the 42nd state in the United States of America, with Olympia as its capital. The rich history of wireless and radio in Washington indicates that many and varied were the electrical and electronic initiatives in this state, including early wireless experimentation, the manufacture of technical equipment, the installation of early wireless stations, very early radio transmissions, the construction of what was then the world's largest radio communication station, and initial planning for an intended VOA Voice of America relay station. And there's even the human interest story of the two lost airplanes and the attempt to avert a serious tragedy with radio calls for support. In our programme today, we turn the pages of history back more than 100 years. We come to the year 1903. It was in that year, 1903, that the Pacific Wireless Telegraph Company was organised in Los Angeles, California. This was less than three years after the famous and legendary Guglielmo Marconi opened his first wireless station at Poldhu on the Cornwall Cliffs in England in October 1900. During that same year, 1903, the Pacific Wireless Telegraph Company quickly installed two wireless stations at Seattle in Washington State, one at Port Townsend with a simple call sign D on the north end of the Quimper Peninsula and the other across the waterway at Fort Casey on Whidbey Island. At the same time, the United States Customs Service requested Pacific Wireless to install another wireless station in the same Seattle area at Friday Harbour for communication with Juneau in Alaska and with local shipping. That first station at Friday Harbour was installed at First Street on a bluff overlooking the harbour. The wooden mast that supported the antenna system stood 237 feet tall and at the time it was the tallest wooden tower in the United States. The Federal Licensing Authority granted a temporary licence in January 1904 and the first test transmission from the new wireless station, in Morse code of course, was on February 8, 1904. Two days later, the Friday Harbour Station was taken into regular service and it was operated mainly as a relay station between the continental United States and Alaska. 
Quite soon after the station was inaugurated, a storm snapped the top 80 feet off the wooden tower and the station was silenced. The wireless station was then rebuilt at a new location on top of the 320-foot-high Bald Hill at Griffin Bay, a little south of Friday Harbour. That second station was open for service in April 1904. However, four years later again, in 1908, that station was closed due to the withdrawal of government financial subsidy, and the equipment was transferred to wireless station D at Port Townsend. Another wireless company, the United Wireless Telegraph Company, took over the Bald Hill location and installed more powerful equipment so that it could then operate with 2 kilowatts on 450 metres, 666 kilohertz, under the regular call sign KPD. And then seven years later again, on May the 25th, 1915, that station also was closed. Back then, the United Wireless Telegraph Company operated 14 wireless stations in various locations throughout Washington State, mostly at 2 kilowatts, on what is now the lower end of the standard medium-wave broadcast band. Two of those stations were in Seattle itself, Station DA with 2 kilowatts on 425 metres, or 705 kilohertz, and Station PA with 5 kilowatts on long wave 700 metres, 428 kilohertz. In addition, the Marine Transmission Company, an equipment manufacturing facility, operated their own wireless station at Tacoma, with 2 kilowatts on 400 metres, 750 kilohertz, under the call sign T2. We should also mention that the United States Armed Forces maintained an additional four wireless stations in Washington State. An Army station with 1 kilowatt under the call sign FX was located at Fort Warden, and three Navy stations were located at North Head, Puget Sound and Tatouche Island, with three standard Navy call signs, NPC, NPD and NPE. We'll have more information about the wireless and radio seat in Washington State in a coming edition of the program. For now, back to you, Jeff. Thank you, Ray Robinson at KVOH in Los Angeles. Now we go to Bob Padula in Melbourne, Australia, with our DX News report for this week. First time in our broadcast, we have information from the High Frequency Coordination Committee, which is an international body responsible for coordination and regulation and planning of frequencies of most international broadcasting for every six months periods. In cooperation with the Arab States and Asia-Pacific Broadcasting Unions are working on an international radio for disaster relief project. For the frequencies or allocated for the B2022 transmission season, the following frequencies have been assigned for I the IDRD project. These frequencies may be used when necessary and they're reserved for those special transmissions. 5910, 24 hours. 7400, also 24 hours. And the following frequencies are also allocated for 24 hour broadcasting. 9430, 17500, 18950, 21840, and 26010. Now, some information concerning propagation and monitoring. Some advice must received from the 
on Atmospheric Prediction Service in Sydney, New South Wales here in Australia. The latest solar forecast from the organisation says that the 10 centimetre solar radio flux has now moved to 135 and the daily equivalent sunspot number has been recorded as 89 and we are moving now into the early stages of the new sunspot cycle number 24 solar activity has been at RO levels with several C-class flares being observed on the face of the Sun. There are currently five numbered sunspot regions on the solar disk. Solar activity is expected to be at ROR1 levels in the near future. A CME was observed in the LASCO imagery from the west at around midnight UTC. The solar wind speed late in September was at a steady incline and ranged from 360 to 738 kilometres per second and it's currently near 570 kilometres per second. The solar wind speed is expected to be near background levels at, at the time of preparation of the report with the possibility of increasing by the end of the period due to a coronal hole high-speed wind stream. So that's the summary of information received from the Ionospheric Prediction Service in Sydney, New South Wales, and we note that high frequencies now are propagating more reliably on darkness paths. We hope you found the broadcast interesting and helpful for your shortwave radio monitoring. Just a reminder that full detail ADXR QSL cards are available by contacting this address. The URL is simply adxr.org. Give it once again, adxr.org. At that address you'll find all the details about how you may send in a reception report and you can receive a QSL card via postal mail, that's physical postal mail, or via the internet. So until our next program, this is Bob in Melbourne, Victoria, Australia. Wishing you all good listening, and thanks for being with us. Goodbye for now. Thank you, Bob. At the present time, Australia is experiencing a lengthy spate of serious flooding major flooding that is described collectively as the worst episode of flooding ever in the history of the island continent down under. Coastal areas, inland desert areas, cities and towns are flooded, and it's forecast that the floods will not be totally dissipated until well into the new year. Here again is Ray Robinson with Devastating Floods in Australia. Thanks, Jeff. Increasing downpours, together with high winds in many areas, have increased unavoidable havoc for local citizens. A total of five Australian states and territories are suffering the devastation, including the northern catchment areas of the island of Tasmania, as well as the federal territory surrounding the national capital, Canberra. The only states not sharing in the same widespread devastation are Western Australia and the Northern Territory. 
Never before has Australia undergone such massive flooding, and this is the hot season of the year when large numbers of Aussies prefer to visit the cool waters of the coastal beaches. As we go to air with a summary of flood information, it should be noted that the weather forecast for several areas is still further rainfall. Not only are major coastal cities and towns flooded, but inland country towns and isolated locations are suffering the same devastating ravages. The high levels of rainfall have impacted many of the inland river systems, particularly those that flow into the River Murray, which is Australia's longest and largest river system. In some threatened areas, the embankments along the Murray are being quickly strengthened and increased in height with the addition of truckload after truckload of dirt. As the flooding waters flow from the local rivers into the River Murray, then the waters in the Murray overflow into the surrounding territory. Some news items describe the flat inland areas that are flooded as giving the appearance of an inland sea. Some highways have become rivers, some towns have become isolated due to washed-out roadways, some bridges have been badly damaged, some dams have burst, thus increasing the flood damage downstream, electricity outages are widespread, and railway lines have been eroded. A long freight train was derailed in Victoria after a month of wild weather. As one news report states, for the tenth month in a row, eastern Australia is still suffering the devastating effects of floods. Some areas inland from the east coast of the continent have been warned to expect floodwaters from the river systems to arrive in their areas in December. A multitude of schools have been closed and a multitude of businesses are temporarily out of business. Fast-flowing floods have carried away anything that will float, and television news programmes show cars floating away, even a house or two, together with lots of garbage and wreckage. A large number of people have been rescued by boat and helicopter, including survivors stranded on the rooftops of houses and commercial buildings. Some have been plucked from their safety perch in trees, and even from the rooftops of motor vehicles. Aerial drops of food and supplies have become necessary in some places. Experienced relief workers have flown in from New Zealand, the United States, Singapore and other countries also, and they've joined Australia's own relief workers in an attempt to bring life back to some form of normality. Medium wave and FM radio and television stations throughout Australia are providing emergency information to the flood-devastated areas. It's estimated that there are 4,000 radio and TV broadcast transmitters on the air throughout Australia, as the ABC, Commercial, Community and Special stations, with 2,300 operated commercially on behalf of the ABC. In several areas, flood damage has caused local power failures, with some radio stations using their own power generation, while other stations have been forced to temporarily leave the air. The ABC operates four radio programme networks and they also operate ten channels of specialised radio programming on empty TV channels. In each state capital, the ABC operates two medium wave stations and the station that carries the state programming is also available for local emergency programming as needed. All regional ABC stations also carry emergency programming as needed. As an example of radio coverage in the flood-devastated areas, the ABC has provided a massive amount of news and emergency programming, nationwide, statewide, regional and local. 
For local information, small networks of FM and medium wave stations have provided coverage from the nearest ABC studio centre. The Office of State Emergency Operations told ABC Television that water was flooding into buildings and streets were awash with water in Melbourne City and its suburbs. In Brisbane, the entrance to the ABC studios was awash. Some staff members could not enter the building to work and other staff members who were caught had to remain within the building for several days. The commercial and community radio stations in the devastated areas have also provided splendid local news and emergency coverage to their localities. Most stations also accept incoming phone calls from local listeners who describe what they're experiencing. As one news source stated, radio is the lifeblood of the community at times like this. A radio listener in Molong, nearly 200 miles north of Sydney, phoned commercial medium wave station 2GB with 6 kilowatts on 873 kHz in Sydney, and he explained that almost every commercial business in their town of 2,000 people was underwater. In Brisbane, announcer Robin Bailey at KISS FM on 97.3 broadcast local flood news from her home balcony, with floodwaters lapping the doorway downstairs. For several days she was unable to leave her home, so therefore she continued the broadcasts from her home. In Sydney, WSFM 101.7 turned all of their programming into flood information. In Ipswich, Queensland, station River 94.9 FM put 200 phone calls on the air in the first day of flooding in their area. Richmond Valley FM on 88.9 in Karaki, New South Wales, was so badly damaged by the local flooding that they left the air. Tragically, one of the announcers at River FM 92.9 in Lismore, Marge Graham, lost her life due to flooding. Vision Australia Radio on 100.1 FM in Shepparton, Victoria, took to reading on air the flood news from each of the regional daily newspapers in the local area. The previous shortwave site for Radio Australia in Shepparton is located at 475 Varney Road, and that locality is very close to widespread flooding from the Goulburn River that passes through Shepparton. Thank you, Ray. Here now is an example of the radio coverage of the flood provided by ABC Radio's program Australia Wide. I'm Sinead Mangan and this is Australia Wide, coming to you from Wadjuk Country. First, to the flood-torn communities of New South Wales. This afternoon, the State Emergency Service said flooding at Condoblin was now inundating homes never thought to be at risk. We got a phone call saying that there was a couple stuck in their roof out of town. We only got three quarters of the way up the street where we saw the tsunami-like tidal wave heading towards us. The only vehicle in sight was an ambulance, so we put her inside the ambulance, got the ambulance to start, and uh, we headed for high ground. As we were crossing the bridge, the footbridge gave way. The ambulance we were in started to float. The engine conked out, and we were stuck, so we had to climb out the window of the ambulance. Monday might seem like some time ago now, but in the context of this relentless flood emergency, it often takes time for our reporters to get into communities and speak to people on the ground for obvious safety reasons. Yugara residents Jodie Greenhog and 18-year-old Molly Beasley slept through the first flood alarm that sounded in the early hours of the morning on Monday, a flood which damaged 90% of the town. They spoke with our reporter, Xanthi Gregory, about the harrowing experience. 
There's people running, screaming. Cars getting moved, cars cars getting swept away. Cars floating, people in cars floating away, people swimming through the flood water. There was babies in our arms. It was was just insane. We raced inside and there was mothers in there with their children. They thought my house was safe. So people came to your house because they thought it was almost a refuge and they would never get hit. No one really thought about it. They were just running and everyone was following where anyone went and cars were following each other. And So we were racing around trying to plug doors and holes and everything we could, but you just didn't know what way to turn. And kind of sounds apocalyptic. Yeah, it, it's, yeah. it's insane. You just And then uh, that quick, next minute, you know, I, my son's screaming out to me on top of the roof, okay. Mum, you've got to get out. Like, my dog's swimming down the hallway. Jake I, and yeah. I thought we were going to lose Jodie because myself and Jake got up on the roof with a, a young mum, Chelsea and Ruby, who's only one, one years old, and um, we were on the roof screaming out to Jodie. We thought she wasn't going to come. And well, I couldn't get out. There was water literally get out no. all the way around my How house. How did you end up getting out of the house? So in the end, the bottom half of the door busted open, so all the water just started gushing in everywhere. We were on yeah, the so we raced up to the other end of the house, and yeah, all I could hear is my son screaming and... That was awful. And we had to go through literally like, oh, it was so high, the water. And, and it, it was the, flowing. The current. It moved the whole house. The whole, our house was floating down the street when Jodie was trying to get out of the water. It was moving so fast. And we just were so lucky. We're really just so lucky to be alive, to get everyone up there, because it's just insane how it happened so quickly. Truly is devastating. Jodie Greenhug and Molly Beasley speaking with Santhi Gregory in Nugara. You're listening to Australia Wide on ABC Radio. That was part of a recent edition of the program Australia Wide on ABC Radio. In 1939, two months after the outbreak of World War II, Australian Prime Minister Robert Menzies launched the country's first international broadcast service, ushering in a new era for the ABC in the Indo-Pacific region. Now, to celebrate the ABC's 90th anniversary, a book has been published with the title Australia Calling, the ABC Radio Australia Story. Written and researched by one of ABC Radio Australia's longtime journalists, Dr. Phil Kafkaludis, Australia Calling delves into more than eight decades of international broadcasting, from its wartime beginnings to its more recent Pacific focus. It tells the story of Australia's changing place in the world, particularly in the Indo-Pacific region, and offers insights into the historic importance of ABC International Services in supporting a free and independent media in the Indo-Pacific. It offers an opportunity to reflect on Australia and the ABC's role in promoting regional democracy and collaboration with its neighbours as Australia faces an increasingly challenging international context. Dr. Phil Kafkaludis is an author and broadcast journalist who presented the Breakfast program on ABC Radio Australia for nine years, broadcasting across the Pacific and Asia on FM and streaming online. For the ABC, he worked in 12 countries and hosted the corporation's first English-language program from China. Here's a promo that ABC Radio has been running to promote the new book. Australia Calling, 
Australia calling the world. In 1939, two months after the outbreak of World War II, Prime Minister Robert Menzies launched Australia's first international broadcast service. The time has come to speak for ourselves. Radio Australia was a very powerful tool. Over the next four decades, the service expanded to broadcast in a variety of languages. Radio Australia, the Radio Australia. Radio Australia. Very important element, I think, of Australia's foreign policy. By 1998, the service turned its focus to the Pacific and North and Southeast Asia. It's so important that Australia have a voice in this region. Expanding with 76 local radio stations in 20 countries. This is our neighbourhood. We must make an impact, be respected, be credible. During periods of crisis, people turn to us. During the Fiji coups, you can uh, walk through most villages and hear Radio Australia on in the background. I respect the credibility of ABC. I've always done so. I think that Australia's voice in the region has grown more and more important. The 21st century saw the service pivot to the Pacific with launches of more and more FM transmitters across the region. ABC is important to the region and the Solomons because it comes with a neutral perspective. Helping to inform. Human rights are being slower. what? Celebrate culture and community. You're tuned to island music on Radio Australia across the Pacific. And bringing people together. We have a very important role to play. It is more and more important today when we are facing uh, new challenges. You save lives. Now, with a renewed focus in the Pacific. We need to work together as part of the Pacific family. Our role is more important than ever. We are trusted. We have a wonderful reputation. It reflects the ABC cares for us. And now, to celebrate the ABC's 90th anniversary, discover for yourself the rich history of Australia's international radio service in the book Australia Calling, the ABC Radio Australia story. Available online and from bookstores. Australia Calling, the ABC Radio Australia story, is available at bookstores in Australia and online at Booktopia. Looks like it might be difficult to uh, get online outside of Australia, or perhaps uh, only in New Zealand. Uh, but we plan to be in Australia early next year, and so we'll try and pick up a copy and tell you a little bit more about it. We end today's edition of WaveScan with the state song of Washington State, Washington, my home. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio, researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week, the Japan Short Wave Club celebrates 70 years. We'll have a special report, as well as our regular Japan DX report. WaveScan is heard weekly on KSDA in Guam, AWR relays in various locations, WRMI in Florida, WWCR in Tennessee, KVOH in Los Angeles, Voice of Hope Africa in Zambia, and IRRS Italy. Send reception reports directly to the station you're listening to. Reports for KSDA and AWR sites should go to qsl at awr.org. Other correspondence, not reception reports, can be sent to wavescan at awr.org. 
www.wrmi.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. Till next week, good listening, everyone. <laughs>